everyone! Welcome to RP Geeks, where science geeks roll dice and tell stories. Um, we are three of the four uh, RP Geeks. Um, we are professional science communicators. We like playing tabletop role-playing games. Um, and, as you'll see today, talking in a nerdy amount of depth about the science that's come up in the story so far. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, thank you, uh, Twitch viewers today. Hey, Twitch. This is Welcome. our first one that's live. All the, all the episodes previously live. It's true. Has, have been oh my God, Twitch, you're still here. Twitch, you get I can the touch you. Live us. So can... uh, pop touch. your questions in chat. Hello also to the YouTube people of the future. Is it nice? How's the future? Let us know in the comments. Who's prime minister? Um, Let us know. Like it's, <laughs> no, no one might be very different. <laughs> And hello, as always, to our lovely podcast listeners, who we appreciate muchly. I can touch um, you through your ear holes, like this. <laughs> there we go. If you have been touched by Simon through your ear holes <laughs> and you'd like to make a complaint, please email rpgeeksdnd.gmail.com. Yeah, that's please. our HR department. <laughs> Feel free to send us, send us your complaints about Simon's behaviour. Thank you very much. Um, so today is uh, the um, uh, a slightly different thing from usual today um we are doing our very first science of starfinder i, th I was about to point out that i thought you were going to say today's a bit different we don't really know what we're doing we haven't done this before i was like we're professionals that's so. every week <laughs> every week we don't really exactly know what we're, what we're doing don't we'll worry dive into the blue yonder is that is it blue some of them are blue what yonder are they yeah, some is, of the is Uranus blue? And do we say Uranus or do we say Uranus? My anus is no longer Uranus. blue because no? of the treatment. But Uranus is kind of more of a grey, like desaturated blue. Exactly. Is it? Like, yeah. Wait, but also like, but the blue, Sorry, like the no. blue that we see them as, right? Is that like false color blue? No, no, that's real or color. It... It's because of the it's because of the um, compounds that make up the outside. So the reason that we'll get into this in more detail but like the reason oh, that oh, we'll get into this in more the detail. gas giants are kind of orangey yellowy is because they're made of the outside of them is hydrogen and helium whereas yeah. uranus and neptune are ice giants they're made of ices and so it's ammonia and methane so they're different colors Oh, but I thought they were. I thought they were gas. I they well, were we'll, we'll get to that. We will. We'll, we'll get to that. But these, these are good facts that should come after I finish explaining what the heck's going on. Perhaps. Andy, get back here right now. Sorry, I'm looking at Twitch chat. Andy is slacking <laughs> off to go to the sauna in his hotel. Where are you <laughs> going? Andy, you're lovely holiday. Oh, I'm in my goddamn holiday. Listen, I'm bringing it back round. Right, what we're doing is we're doing the science of Starfinder. So, um, if you uh, have been watching our campaign. Um, our new campaign, The Absalom Files, we've had two episodes so far, and we have picked from those two episodes two uh, science topics um, that have that have come that we come across in the story. Um, so basically what we're going to be doing is, you know, next week we're diving back into the story. And now after a few more episodes, we'll have we'll have another Science of Starfinder episode. Um, so, you know, as the campaign is going along, uh, if you think of uh scientific questions uh, relevant to the stuff that happens also let us know so that we can remember and include them in the science of starfinder which science is what we're doing starfinder. today science i feel like i need i need like some sort i of, like, sort of i, I feel like the thing which is going to take this to the next production value level is if we have an ongoing experiment right yeah. that yeah. that runs from the beginning of this campaign to the very end right and there's something to do with starfinder oh. and then we have a, a permacam 
on the experiment, right? Whatever oh, it is, you mean a what, like a pitch drop yeah. experiment or something, like something that takes <laughs> a really long Very time. Slowly. What's a oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly. I'm thinking something drop, a bit darker, yeah. but pitch drop fine. Like, and then we just kind of go back and we revisit, and you know that's that's science of Starfinder happening in front of our eye holes. What if we launched a satellite or something? Like, that's just dream big. You know, we... and and what. Or start of the stream, we do an episode mm. on atmospheric composition and we launch mm. a weather balloon with a GoPro on it. As it's going through. And then we live that's stream. Fucking good. The that is actually the quite a good idea. Did you guys see the That's good a good idea. idea. Yeah, Did you see the it. Thomas the Tank Engine? Like the weather balloon Thomas the Tank Engine video where no? they send it. Oh, it's the sweetest thing in the world. Like it's the it's a dad who who's whose little kid plays the Thomas Tank Engine and they like wants it to fly and stuff. So the, the dad attaches it to a weather balloon, and sticks a GoPro on the side of it, and sends it up, right? And it plays this really sweet music and it goes all the way up into the atmosphere and bursts and then falls back down again, and then they go find it. It's beautiful. See, Tom That's Scott cute. did a video, and it it might be his most popular video ever, which is we sent garlic bread to the edge of space and ate it, where he just put garlic bread on a weather balloon. Good title. Like it's uh, like that. That's good. Though, isn't it's it? so that's, good. Like it has like so over good. ten million views. Let me find this right. Sixty-one million views. <laughs> and it's like no notes. Why didn't I think of this? Like this is my my thing. <laughs> said, but you you thought of the years. you've thought of the um, nerdily educational one where you just talk about things, but there's no garlic bread. So yeah, you've got garlic bread too. makes everything better. They're just not as good. Let me put it like this: He's got a video that's two and a half hours of unedited footage of this ascent and descent, and it's got seven point three million views. Wow! The AdSense. This is this is where we're missing out. Yeah. <laughs> I am curious if that's his most viewed video ever. Actually, I'm just gonna just don't mind me, Sharmini. Do you, if you want to take back over <laughs> after I've completely derailed. Well, this. I can't remember which um order we said we'd go in because i wanted to like introduce the topic oh sure i feel like calamity gas is talking about first. garlic bread edging which is something else but... <laughs> oh there's so many different ways that could uh yeah let's let's not go down there <laughs> so there are two there are two topics oh i know what i'll say i will say you'll know what our topics are for today if you're watching this because it's in the title so actually, that's less of a surprise. But also because we um, picked them on our um, Patreon behind the screens uh, yes. bonus content that we do for the shows. Um, massive big thank. Uh, I wasn't planning this, but massive big thanks to our patrons: um, Aaron, Cass, Will, Cameron, Jay, Nick. Somebody. I don't have Andy. access to the back end at the moment, so I actually can't look. <laughs> um. Uh, they got, got, got a preview of, of our topics today. Wait, wait, wait. Are... Tell me them again. I can tell you. I can I help. I got, no, I got it right. Oh, I think she got it with six of them. I just did it in the wrong order because Andy should have been back to four. Sorry, I thought I was going to jump in there as Guardian of the Patreon. No. no <laughs> Heimdall <it>. of our. <laughs> I <laughs> am the. Patron. Wait, isn't he the guy with the Bifrost? Yeah, the guy with the Bifrost. You're the one who's like, you know, permitting I am entry. That guy, or not. Yes. I see Every all. Every time you enter our Patreon, you'll see me doing this. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you see when you come in. There was some sort of a mime there that I cannot yeah. describe. That was a sword. Believe it or not, listen, viewers, that was meant to be a sword. Um, yeah, you have to sound like Idris Elba whilst you're doing it as well. <laughs> And there's the sound of someone just licking some garlic bread in the background. It's gross. <laughs> oh my god. So wait, wait, remind me who is going first. I will go first. I'll take the ring to Mordor. Okay. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Shall I do a little um plot summary for our first uh 
topic or have you got that sort of go for it give give me a summary if you like because i've got i've got a page open that's relevant to the science but not one relevant to the okay great so that everyone is aware um if you're watching the science of starfinder um episodes there will probably be spoilers for the campaign because we probably won't be able to resist uh jabbering on about uh everything that's happened and it's quite relevant um but not the other way around if you're watching the science for starfinder no if you're watching the campaign there's no spoilers for the science can you spoil the science probably not so that's fine that's preprint <laughs> it's, it's it's there's no preprinting going on apart from the things that happen if you want and to the spoil the science happened... go to x archive uh... <laughs> <laughs> just be aware it's not peer reviewed yeah what happened in episode two was we, us, our uh, party, went to somewhere that is a, a part of the um, Starfinder canon called Fogtown. Um, uh, Emily Bates had a had has lots of descriptions, and as the Fate Weaver has all the sort of proper ways of introducing. Fogtown. Should we explain why Emily Bates has turned into a giant dice with a ring system? By the way, on the stream, yeah, Emily Bates. What, what's happened? Also, why, why is she still the Fate Weaver when we're not? Oh no, we're all still our characters. Oh, the we dice don't have, itself we don't have a is separate, the fate we've um, a separate overlay for the science of Starfinder. So we are all still. Oh, we will. We will. We'll have to. We will have to make that. This is. Okay. I've had a time over the if past week or so. Let me put it like that. It's, it's been very busy. Hands I wonder whether we could. Time over the past week or so. Yeah, this is. Yeah. <laughs> Not going on. But yeah, she's 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 busy. She's got she's got an actual job. She's so cool. She's so cool with a cool Jira. job. She's nailing she's it. Doing so well. Bird watching, looking at all those say? birds. <laughs> bird, you got to get looked at. Would you know if they're there or not? Beats last year when she was looking at beaver. I like the beavers. Beavers. More than one beaver. <laughs> beaver cam was great. To be fair, like we need. The, they had that little beaver like, cam. The wetland, and then you'd, you'd be like, "Oh, oh look, so here's wet. beaver." Simon, you're doing There's things. I know you're doing. What? So... We had beaver cam last year. Do you remember when she sent those really wet, exciting wet messages? Beaver cam. Wet beaver cam. Yeah. I know, yeah. okay. This Loads year she, she sent us a pair of a great tits. It's a fog town, huh? <laughs> it's, uh... <laughs> it's in the books. It's an official thing. So in Starfinder, on a space station, there is an area where you have to wear a gas mask to go into because it's designed for... <laughs> the alien races but are you still laughing I'm sorry I'm so no, sorry no, it's, it, it's been like 10 minutes and it's completely <laughs> derailed <laughs> Emily Bates is working on Springwatch for people who don't get what we, with the jokes that we were just making just to be absolutely clear she's doing media for Springwatch so she's looking at birds small British birds okay it's just <laughs> let's try and claw some kind of respectability back for this this, this show Germany. i feel I like this is on you the whole time like i'm not the one with a respectability problem here okay entirely it's, fair Bogtown is designed for people people aliens species They're people yeah <laughs> like specifically uh species that live on have evolved to live in on don't really know how that's gonna work gas giants um, so I already just from from this starting concept of here where this gas mask because you can't breathe it because this is the atmosphere of a gas giant. I have many questions about the atmosphere of gas giants, how you recreate it on a space station, what what's going on with these hypothetical alien species, and it, it's an atmospheric physics story basically. So 
Oh, look, it's Dr. Simon Clark. Here's a PhD. Simon, uh, what's your PhD on? Atmospheric physics. Not of gas giants, it's got to be said. It's not exactly perfect. <laughs> yeah. And um, what have you written a book on? I wrote a book on the history of atmospheric physics. <laughs> so, so I'm expecting you to be able to answer all of my questions today. So I, I've got a, well, I've got some interesting, I went down a few rabbit holes when I was researching this, right? So I'm going to read you the, um, I believe this is, this is from the rule book, the description of Fogtown. The neighbourhood takes its name from the thick, multicoloured atmosphere tailored to the natives of the gas giant worlds Bretheda and Leavara. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Um, nevertheless, other species visit frequently, making use of communal breathing masks in the airlocks in order to interact with representatives from the various biotech companies or negotiate for gas mining or research rights. So I didn't realize that the the breathing masks were communal, like, as in it's just one big sort of trough that you kind of like. Oh, that's horrible. Like five other people. Yeah, that's really gross. That's a COVID super spreader mask right there. Like respiratory right diseases there. are everywhere in Fogtown. <laughs> Question. Yeah. Yes, the orangutan in the front row. <laughs> Stuff which is airborne, spread airborne. Could that be a kind of life that would exist naturally on? Right. We'll get. Let me. Plants. Let me. Uh, let me circle back to that thought in just a moment. Like COVID. So the um, the, there's a few things that stand out from here, right? Like it says that the the atmosphere is thick and it's multicolored. And specifically, it talks about gas giants. So you've got breath, Bretheda, 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 um, which is blue and purple, um, and is a is a gas giant and has lots of moons, just like the gas giants in our solar system. And then we've got Leavara, which is the closest gas giant to the sun, um, and multiple layers of gaseous atmospheres, each densely filled with a variety of life. Doesn't actually specify its color, I don't think. Orange tinged. Okay, right. So. So this is important. This is As important because now, it's going to be relevant. There are two <laughs> kinds of giant planets that we have in our solar system, right? We have gas giants, but we also have ice giants. Up until the mid '90s, they were kind of lumped in together, but they are actually very different because um, Jupiter and Saturn in our solar system are they're primarily made of uh, molecular hydrogen and helium, and that's just that's where they get their color from. That's why they're both similarly yellowy, orangey kind of color. Their... Is that like the same composition as what a sun, a star would be? Yes. So um, gas giants like up. Jupiter, for example, is on the verge of being a brown dwarf, which is a failed star, basically. No. Like it's, I think, it, I can't remember the exact size. number, but if it was slightly bigger, it would have enough um, gravitational force to ignite a certain level of fusion. No way. So it's, it's cool. kind of a failed star because cool. yeah, Jupiter's enormous. Mean it's t it took a different path, failed. It's just yeah, doing yeah, yeah. its own thing. Okay, Jupiter, you're fine. It's uh, I'm, I'm I really shouldn't be using you know the conventional terms in the science literature because they're harmful. Um, <laughs> harmful to Jupiter. I just want to. I, I don't know if this is go way off the tracks, but <clears throat> like you say, color, right? But color's reflection of light. So we're talking about reflected light from the sun bouncing off Jupiter towards us. Yeah. And are we talking about? like the the way that light just reflects off these these molecules or are we talking about the light hits the molecules and excites them in some way and then they release a different kind of wavelength back so that that will happen at certain wavelengths i think in the visible it doesn't happen i think it is purely reflected light but it's also scattered light because the thing about well jupiter is the, the the sort of most famous example of this is you can see clouds you can see high level clouds in the top layer of jupiter's atmosphere and it's got Oh, I think it's 17 cells in its atmosphere. So the Earth has three cells, the 
um, Hadley cell, the feral cell, and the polar cell, which are these overturning circulations where air on Earth rises at the equator, moves towards the poles, and then it sinks again, and you get this closed loop. Whereas Jupiter has about 17 in each hemisphere, I believe. So all different sort of loops go. Yeah, all different loops. And so you see these bands of different colours, and the, the, the lighter colours are clouds. Um, and they're clouds not of water, but I actually did have the notes on the composition. I think it's um, methane clouds at the top of Jupiter, but I could be wrong. Uh, that's not something I have straight in front of me. Yes, Ali. <laughs> if you... So cloud form can form, can be seeded, right? Around uh, yeah. particles. So are there, like, part, is there particulate matter mm. bigger than molecules in the atmosphere of Jupiter around which these clouds are seeded? That's a very good question. I'm not sure about what the nucleation sites are. Uh, presumably there must be something. Um, I'm not I'm not 100% sure, actually. Good question. Write that down. If someone wants to go and research this whilst I talk about the rest of this. Nucleation site. Nucleation. I'm going to look that up right now. That'll be my job. I'll look that up. So the top of yeah, the top of Jupiter and Saturn, you've uh, the the clouds are formed of NH3, which is uh, ammonium. Sorry, ammonia. There is a difference, isn't there? I'm not a chemist, but even I know there's a difference (laughs) between ammonium and ammonia. Um, Saturn. Right. Okay. And so those the ion. Those are those are scattered scattering light off of them which is why they appear brighter and so jupiter has um yeah lots of bands like i say saturn also has it they're just less obvious um there was this article where well, it's a textbook um chapter that I was reading earlier which i i'll can I find the quote again it basically described it as here you go um saturn shows similar but much more subdued cloud activity instead of vivid colors its cloud have a nearly uniform butterscotch hue and i love the idea Aww. of turning up to the butterscotch Aww. planet like, butterscotch that's quite fun but or um, just a guy called butterscotch hugh who just welcomes you in like jimmy space <laughs> inventor of the space marines like you know it, you get to name it with you if you're the person that discovers it um so jupiter and saturn quite similar they're, they're both made of similar kind of stuff whereas uranus and neptune are not made primarily of um hydrogen and helium they're made of ices of things like methane and ammonium <laughs> it's ammonia God damn it, I'm confusing myself now. Ammonia. Um, and you get, there's a certain stratification that like you find the clouds of different chemical species at different heights within the atmosphere. Um, but that's basically why the top layer of them is, is a different kind of cloud. I'm just going to get the note up in front of me. Yeah, they have hydrocarbon ices as their top level. So, st- you know, stuff that has C and H in, like, for example, methane as their, their top level clouds. And that's why just... they are mostly blue rather than the other oh, butterscotch of gas giants. Oh, no, I have too many questions. One question is, so um, obviously Uranus and Neptune are further out than Jupiter and Saturn. Um, but presumably they're not just the frozen ones because they're further away from the sun because they've actually got a completely different composition. But then that also leads me to, to question whether that difference in composition is... In fact, not a coincidence. I believe it's mass fractionation in the formation of the solar system. So you get the lighter stuff near and the heavier stuff further out. So is that, is that as, as things get flung round and round, like in a centrifuge, heavier things? Move. I don't have a source for that in front of me, but I believe uh, that that is why you, you get that. It's not, the... a, it's not a coincidence anyway. As the solar no. system formed, different materials kind of went to different uh, sort of distances and, and hence those planets. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Ali. I'm, I'm, I'm back from science <laughs> oh right like, Go for it. so i found i found i'm just gonna caveat this i found a paper 
right? Which love, does cite other papers. You love things that are just a paper. Like all of your your best stuff. All of my like, things is just a paper. This one paper. <laughs> That's the best kind. Someone who did that one thing. <laughs> like, was it represented? Doesn't matter. Um, no. So what they're saying is that it has been assumed that cloud formation processes for brown dwarf atmospheres, so something similar to what Jupiter is, is typically assumed to begin with the formation of titanium oxide seed particles in the upper atmosphere. Isn't that hmm. the same as ours? Does what? that sound familiar? Titanium oxide? Is that That's one of the proposed things that you could use for solar radiation management. Oh, right, you could okay. reject it into the atmosphere right and make now, the you just Earth more reflective. Um, oh, okay, cool. What so, is titanium so... oxide doing in the atmosphere? Just not go into that in this one paper. <laughs> that beats me. Because I'm looking at the composition of the atmospheres and it's not listed in Jupiter, Saturn, or, I suppose or it any could of be them. so tiny that it's not listed, but then if it's so important. Maybe. I'd, I'd have to look into that. That's a very interesting question. I don't really know. Um, what's Jupiter? The one, one Maybe of... it might just be a modeling framework where they're like, this could give you the clouds that you see. Yeah. Maybe. Rather than actual observation of it. So there was an interesting thing that. which I came across, which I didn't know about in uh, researching this, which is that these gas giants, and I think, I can't remember which one it is. I think it might be Neptune or, I think it's Neptune, it might be Uranus. It's one of the ice giants. Um, radiate more energy out than they get from the sun. Which is, which is weird because they should, those, those should be in balance because that's what defines radiative balance. That, that, that the core, defines... what about the core? Well, yeah, okay. The core. Leftover molten core? Produces what's called Kelvin-Helmholtz heating. Kelvin this is where Helmholtz. the gases oh, are so oh, compressed. This is my friend Kelvin Helmholtz. He's the, guy, the, the butterscotch guy. He's a, anyway, they're so compressed <laughs> that they basically produce a, a, a outward pressure that then produces this radi this radiation. So thermal energy comes from in the same way that if you compact certain materials on Earth, they heat up. But if you do it on large enough scale, then they can give off uh, thermal energy. Radiation. So, it, but so even though they don't have a solid core, I mean, I think we're not sure. They don't if, have a solid core. I, okay, I'm going to have to double check this now because I think <laughs> I, I think that we so don't just like know soup for sure. In there? I think it's basically ah yeah. So at the center of Jupiter, at least, is metallic hydrogen as a core. So the hydrogen gets so compressed that it starts acting as a pseudo metal, and so it Ooh. actually becomes like a solid lump of hydrogen at the That's insanely cool. high pressures in the middle. Um, the Ooh. other ones may have a um, sort of a core I mean a lot of this is speculative right we've never been to the center of these planets but 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 at any, at any rate the the um the way that have we never sent sorry surely we could just shoot something into the center of these planets why does it not you know get there last uh, very long is it because they're huge well, why not I mean, hang on, what's the radius of Jupiter? Let me find it's that. It's made it all the way to Jupiter. Well, I mean, all I'm saying is, like, if it's just got to go through gas to get there, why can't it just plow on through and then be like... Uh, because you've got... I mean, the pressure... I don't know off the top of my head what the pressure is within a few kilometres. I'll, I'll come back to that point in just a second, actually. Um, but consider that Jupiter's radius is 70,000 kilometres. So it's a huge how amount far? of pressure. How far is that? I mean, the how Earth's far? radius is um, 6,400 kilometres. So it's an order of magnitude Ooh. bigger than the Earth. And you're plowing straight through tens of thousands of kilometers in order to get to the center. So good luck yeah, getting like there, but also good luck getting a signal out back to Earth. Yeah. I feel like a real div about this now, but I'm going to ask it anyway in front of people. Um, I don't understand the pressure thing. Like, it, surely if it's at high enough pressure to, I don't know, crack metal, then, you know, it's at high enough pressures to 
form like a liquid or form a solid or something. Is that well, just that, done? Well, so that's what happens in that that metallic core of the gas giants. Like that that is what happens. Um, truth, truthfully, I don't know if there are other layers around that, and I'm not sure if science knows that there are other layers around it. I'm sure there are probably models of this, but it's not not to my knowledge. Do you get other solidified layers of other materials besides hydrogen in the cores? But I got myself distracted there. So basically, <laughs> you've got this atmosphere in which everything's at the, at the very top. It's it's obviously quite warm, even though there's a weird temperature gradient thing because you're heated from below by this Kelvin Helmholtz heating, but you're also heated from above by atmospheric radiation ionizing the top layer of the atmosphere. It's what happens on Earth. But the further down you go, and you go down for tens of thousands of kilometers, it's more akin to oceanic life than it would be to atmospheric life because it's like being in the deep uh, deep parts of the ocean you know over the continental away from the continental shelf where there is no bottom and there's is no end yeah, is well, it liquid it's 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 not so much that it's a liquid yeah, but it's it's more that the energy source in your ecosystem is exclusively coming from up top like there isn't an energy source that's going to be coming from below in the same way that it would in the atmosphere so yeah, mm. okay. So on Earth, it, or most of the energy primarily comes from the sun. So if you're a deep sea creature, you just need sun food creatures to fall down upon you. Yeah, Whereas or in... vents, or hydrothermal or vents. Hydrothermal or vents, vents, but you yeah. don't get those in Jupiter. So that's the idea, right? Yeah. So I was basically, I was, I was sort of came at this problem. I was like, right, could life evolve on one of these planets? Because that's ultimately what we're trying to get to. There are lots of species yeah, and, that are described. Yeah, and they're these How... floaty type things. And like, kind of the question is how could life initially develop on one of these things? And if you, if you want to create life, you've got to create amino acids. I'm not a biologist, but I know that much. If uh, you want to create our kind of life. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Hypothetically, the, this is the whole... we, we, can we imagine that's the, different but that's kinds the comet, of... Yeah. That's the comet seeding hypothesis, isn't it? Like... Well, that's one of the ways that it could have happened. <clears throat> um yeah because this so, is the so idea they, that like yeah. you, you you are a um a scientist who's dropped their keys on the street and you start looking under where the lamp is illuminating it that's at night and you don't necessarily think that your keys were dropped there but that's the bit you can see so you search there first and then you start yeah, yeah. touching around in the dark so so hypothetically if we're talking about amino acid based life like we have yeah could that evolve in a soupy gas giant atmosphere that's kind of like the deep sea yeah and so what do you need to form amino acids you need i don't know ali do you want to answer this you need water for fuck's sakes because it, well you need a oh, you specifically you need the kind of the way that water allows you to form those kind of that water has a dipole structure so yeah. it, it allows you to do kind of funky stuff in terms of like forming different kinds of bonds and things is and this, shaping the molecules so for, specifically like for amino acids that's what you need is this like the whereas, same as hydrogen bonding, whereas water has really unique properties because of hydrogen bonding? Yeah, it's basically it's got a it's it's got a polar shape. Because it's got twenty-one two... degrees or whatever it is. I don't know, but it's it's the Mickey Mouse, right? So yes. like it's the oxygen H2O's. on one side and the two hydrogens on the other. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that. Well, I know ammonia is eight NH three. Is that right? Yeah. So in a way, that is polar. So maybe there's a way. Well, the, the the one um experiment that everybody talks about within this field is the Yuri Miller experiment, right? So it's like, th this was the experiment that they did in the, oh, I didn't actually get the year of this, when was it? 1952, where they tried to recreate the conditions on early Earth. 
which was um you know this this kind of soupy atmosphere that had in it water methane ammonia and hydrogen and then they stimulated that within a closed environment with an electrical spark and they found after running it for i know that it was a long time but i can't that doesn't say actually on here exactly how long it was but they, they basically sparked to simulate lightning for a long period of time and then they analyzed what compounds they got out at the end of it and they found that they'd actually created most of uh, 11 of the 20 basic amino acids so that's this hypothesis that basically spontaneously all of this part that the primordial soup in the earth's atmosphere was the right combination of of elements it will of um uh compounds. compounds and then an electrical charge to provide some energy input and that produced the building blocks of proteins and so life yes so when you said that in we we were saying that the only way of getting energy into the system would be from the sun right but jupiter does have a shitload of storms right going on yeah and we see atmospheric lightning if you are so if you have rubbing together stuff and you're generating lightning then that's another way of bringing energy into the system from just the kinetic force of all the stuff moving around yeah and and this is the other thing like because of these big overturning circulations there's lots of vertical movement in these atmospheres so you do get charge building up and you do get lightning being observed um so that's absolutely taken care of i mean if you go through the list of things in the experiment that they had they had lightning, which we've got. They had ammonia, which we have. Methane, which we have. And hydrogen, which we definitely have on a gas giant. The one thing that is lacking in both gas giants and ice giants is the is the water part of it. Like on, on Jupiter and Saturn, you've got a few parts per billion of the atmosphere being water. And on Uranus and Neptune, it just says zero. Like we've, we've not detected any evidence of it. It's all frozen methane, is that right? Yeah, I would, I would expect that all the hydrogen and oxygen is just bound up in other stuff. And also because it's oxygen, I don't know if you get it that far out. I don't know if that's another mass fractionation thing. But, but hold up here, so-called Dr. Simon. <laughs> I know that comets are full of water because mm -hmm. that's their thing so what if a comet smashes into the oldie jupiter doesn't that bring in some water that water's not going anywhere yeah some water can be brought in i think i think the thing to remember is that these planets are so much bigger than earth like we're talking an order of magnitude bigger than earth's atmosphere and yes earth possibly inherited a lot of water from comets but we are in a different part of the solar system there was this period oh gosh when was it 1.6 billion years ago there was something called the late heavy bombardment where all the terrestrial planets just had a shitload of, of stuff thrown at them which probably included a lot of water um and maybe that's actually where the stuff came from on jupiter and possibly saturn but seemingly there's no that we, we have not detected evidence of water in the atmospheres of, of uranus and neptune so from that it's perspective that that like we often talk about like carbon-based life as opposed to silicon-based life mm. but in another way we are very much water-based life like it's so yeah. vital to filling our cells and having the right construction of them there's a great youtube channel who's just kind of popped off recently called uh a collier astro i can't remember her first name off the top of my head but she did a video on she's an astrophysics phd uh, grad and she she did a video on the aliens will not be silicon and why carbon-based life is so much more likely than silicon-based life, um, which was to do with basically how silicon interacts, I think, with the geological cycle, but also how reactive it is, and that carbon is just always more reactive, um, which, which is why we're carbon-based life forms. Mm -hmm. Somebody bring me a periodic table! <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going dark. 
<laughs> so I, 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 it's like amino acid based life on on uh, gas giant doomed without water what well about, what if there's a really watery gas giant it's possible that you could get a bunch of water in the gas giant so i think but you know it it's one of these things that's like it we haven't observed it but it doesn't mean it's impossible and the other thing is that you know everything i've said so far sort of indicates that you know we don't expect life to have evolved on these planets however we also didn't think that there'd be life at the bottom of the ocean when we first started exploring that in the mid late 19th mm -hmm. century. Mm -hmm. And we drew up samples and found, holy shit, there's like worms and stuff in this mud. How on mm -hmm. earth is that possible? So mm -hmm. biology is one of these fields that is incredibly yeah. difficult to predict. Biology. Yeah. Can I jump in? Can I jump in and just offer? Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Get out of the way. Sure. So, <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, you've got to... to you've got to check your definition of life right like i mean we were taught mrs gren in oh yeah in school right so, so oh, movement flashback. respiration sensi sensitivity uh growth Hello? reproduction excretion and uh norman norman so mrs this oh, is n. n nutrition nutrition I don't is think it? that's right. That, yeah, I'm, not, um, I'm not sure. Someone in chat will uh, correct us, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, but um, if you want to get like, if you want to go deep, you could say that really the only true definition of living things is something that reproduces itself. And I'm, and in I'm that, happy in that, to include viruses in, you know, in the... Happy you know, but life. it's more, it's prions, right? A prion oh, technically no. would be alive by I that definition. To, yeah, I forgot. I had to, oh, so, no. like, there's lots, it's, it's an... By it's that an definition, our computer prions. virus is alive. Oh, damn it. Yes, by that definition, they would be alive. But it depends on what milieu you're talking about. Like, computer viruses, it's not a physical thing reproducing itself. It's a set of code. So it's, it's information. That's DNA. It's uh, that, surely that, that's a genetic code. But DNA is a but DNA is is a physical object that reproduces itself in shape, rather than a computer virus, which doesn't do that. Unless maybe you're talking about the configuration of the electron gates within the chip. But anyway, so what I'm saying is, right, you could have stuff on those planets, like formations of things which seed themselves, so the whole thing becomes full of these things, but that don't show the other kind of things that we classically call living like sensation or anything this sounds like a, a a problem for either a philosopher or a biologist of which i am neither <laughs> what about a philosophologist yeah the people okay, who do physics and philosophy terrified me oxford i don't know how you i don't know how you, your brain can do both those subjects at the same time um so like yeah everything seems to indicate that like the actual evolution of basic life forms hasn't happened well certainly hasn't happened in, in our solar system and it's unlikely to happen in other gas or ice giants because that was the thing i was wondering i was like actually it sounds like because of the availability of things like you know radicals like um, ammonia and methane they're much more prevalent on ice giants and so maybe it would be more likely that you get life on one of these seemingly not one of the reasons for that is that um it would be airborne for one thing and possibly it would exist in you know droplet form or it would be one of these floating type life forms which is one of the life forms that or you, a fishy you could see. it be a fishy yeah it could be you know yes. like with, with with sort of sail fins and, and things like that like you know yeah. it's, that's that's the kind of design that you see in starfinder um i can't remember the name of the species off the top of my head um but yeah those are the kind of things that they have in starfinder and also carl sagan there's a bit of cosmos which i watched where he actually talks about this and has these hypothesized creatures that were like I think he called them floaters and sinkers, which is slang that's been unfortunately reappropriated since to describe <laughs> turds. 
Um, but like, you know, it, you know, that's how he thought about these things. The one thing that I would say from an atmospheric dynamics point of view um, that makes that unlikely to me is that on ice giants, you get the fastest winds in the solar system. Like Neptune's winds at the, at the equator are about 2000 kilometers per hour. Like, I think they're actually supersonic. Wait, why, wait, why, are, they so, why are they so fast? Um, right. So I think it's basically the fact that you've got no <laughs> land underneath, so there's no friction. And you've got a huge oh. thermal gradient that builds wait, up. Wait, I thought you said, I thought Neptune's solid. Uh, well, no, it's made of ices, but it doesn't have, hang on, let me get the... I thought ice was solid. I thought that was one of the defining features of ice. No, 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 but it, it's like, um... But 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 it's ice is at different pressures, right? Like if you have ice at a higher pressure, then it's not necessarily solid. What? Hang on, Let's wait a second. I'm, what's this is blowing my mind. But also, though. ice is oh, means something a little bit different. Like I've, I'm gonna, I had to get this up. Let me oh, read you the, right. the wiki. Ice refers yeah, to ices. volatile chemical compounds with freezing points above about a hundred Kelvin, um, such as water, ammonia, or methane, with freezing points of. 273195 and 91k respectively. So, um they don't have solid surfaces. It's just that we we call the things that make them up ices. It's like a oh. So they are also gas giants. Yeah, but That's like why we're talking about them because they are made of ices rather than molecular hydrogen and helium, we call them something slightly different. I mean, it's kind it's one of these things. What do we call them? What are they called? They're called well. They're called ice giants. Ice like, giants. Oh, right. That, that is that is the term that we we use now. Interestingly, sorry, I'm just reading this off the page now. Gas giant was only coined in 1952. As a, what as a term. were they called before that? I don't know. Planets. We were, just, just... we were all just a happy family of planets. Pluto was one of us. Like we were all just together before all this division started. It's, we just went into naming things. It was like, yeah, you know, they're big, but I don't want to name We're not them. into categories put, around here. It's kind of like a humanities department. It's all just blurs into one. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's just it's restrictive. So, um, sorry, that slightly blew my mind that that term is, is so modern. Um, but yeah, basically you have a um, very large thermal gradient. There's no friction at the bottom and they do spin faster than Earth. So you've got a very strong Coriolis deflection. So you get these jets that are really, really fast. And so if you were airborne, you'd have to survive like potentially supersonic oh, no. winds. Which Wow. Isn't... Oh, that's, oh, that's Neptune and Saturn though, right? That's Neptune and Uranus. I'm not I don't have Uranus, the figures sorry. to hand of the wind speed at so the top of the other side. Was a constant... If that was a constant wind speed, then you know, if you just evolved to live in if you just you know yeah. Yeah, like you essentially would be going at, at nil speed, right? If you were basically just at that oh, speed all the time. Do you know what I'm saying? With it. Yeah. I but mean, everything's moving around you. And, and yeah, this comes yeah, down yeah, to like, fine. we're looking for life no, that looks like life yeah. that we're used to, right? And so when we're thinking of life that's suspended in a medium and has energy coming in from the top, we think of oceanic life. And when we think of oceanic life, we think of quite fragile stuff that just floats around, you know, on ocean currents, which are no more than, you know, meters per second at most. So if it exists it's going to be something that's very different and possibly built of something very different than what we have seen life on earth sorry i've, I've nearly went into a david attenborough voice then so <laughs> diff nearly it. different with from with life that we've seen here on earth but it's not to say it's impossible and i suppose it doesn't do us any harm to imagine that the planets and the in the the pack worlds can uh could it could exist in this form i think but, what's but... you ready Okay. Are you sure? 
Yes. I think I'm going in a different direction, but you just pull me back if we, if if we, this is the place we want to be. Okay. Well, I'm just thinking that. So actually, like one of the key things about the generation of life is the generation of the membrane because that mm-hmm. allows you to have inside. Yeah, allows outside. you to put exactly and to change what's Gradient. inside compared to what's outside without it all just sort of mixing up again, which allows you to build up you know, all the different kind of like stop. You can like store different... energy and yeah, then release exactly. it. And then you can membrane. use that energy to build more complicated stuff and then you can protect that stuff. And, it, you know, that's, you need a, you have to have Membranes. a membrane. We're a membrane-based life. Exactly. Well, so that's a sort of, but but which makes you think kind of more on a bigger scale about the the boundary between gaseous life. Like, yes, stuff which has a membrane like a jellyfish and, and floats on gas, fine. Mm. But stuff which is gas how can it separate itself from other gas stuff because there's always Mm. gas aliens in like star trek and stuff like how do they that's just life forms yeah i don't know i mean this is now verging into more of a biology question than a physics question which i'm uniquely i I unqualified i want to bring it round back to we went to fogtown on absalom station or at least our characters did yes um okay hypothetically we've got gas giant life and Presumably, there's some kind of swimming, floating things, not water-based. My my question is, so so Fogtown, I think, was described as like recreating this atmosphere. And I can imagine that you could quite easily recreate the proportions of different uh, compounds in an atmosphere. What are the what would the pressures be like? Yeah, in, it, it would depend on where in the atmospheric column the life evolved, right? Like, because it could be oh, at about yeah. atmospheric pressure, which wouldn't be terribly deep. D- does would... that ex- exist in Jupiter? Like, is the in the outside of Jupiter? Yeah, well, if you think about as... any any atmosphere, the the pressure at any level in the atmosphere is nothing more than the weight of all the gas above it. So, mm-hmm. starting at the top of any atmosphere, you've got zero pressure, and then the further down you go. The, the higher the pressure gets. So at some point in the top of all of these planets' atmospheres, you are going to get one atmosphere, 10 to the 5 pascals, that is what we have here at the surface of Earth. What the temperature would be there, I don't know off the top of my head, but I would guess pretty cold. Because admittedly, you know, well, on the top of I, on the top of the, it would be further into the gas giants, because you're dealing with hydrogen, which is lighter than nitrogen. So, you know, Earth's atmosphere is okay. basically nitrogen with a healthy dollop of oxygen. And so you would have to go further down than the depth of the Earth's atmosphere, which is approximately 100 kilometers, maybe 150 kilometers into Jupiter. Yeah. But it's still going to be okay, pretty so, cold. So, so right now I'm feeling the pressure on my skin, on my body of basically all of the atmosphere above me, which is whatever. Mostly yeah. Every square atmosphere. meter of Earth has 10,000 kilograms of air above it. Oh, but if I was on if I was on Jupiter, if I was, I'm swimming through Jupiter, it's really light atmosphere, so I'd have to swim really, really far down to feel that same pressure on my body yeah. and not explode. And the temperature there would probably be quite cold because the heat source you got that Kelvin Helmholtz heating coming up from the center of the oh. planet, but that's sixty thousand kilometers that way. Uh, oh. Rather and than would it be all soupy like it like we imagine Fogtown to be? Would it be like I can't see the sun because I'm so deep down in the soup of or would it be not that thick because it's just hydrogen at atmospheric pressure, so it's not actually liquid? Well, the, the, the clouds are pretty significant. You would see, you know, if you've got clouds there, then that's something that would be visible. When you recreate the temperature and the pressure, so yeah, the clouds would exist in that form. I think, I think you could depict it as anything from being almost entirely clear to being pretty hazy. Like this is definitely where like sci-fi artistic <laughs> license 
you, yeah. you can hand wave and be like, oh yeah, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty foggy in Fogtown today. Um, Fogtown was hot when we went there because I think because like we imagine Jupiter like as being red and gassy, gassy and burning. And I, don't, I, I sort of imagine hot. it being kind of temperate. Do you? Yeah. Well, Jupiter or Fogtown? No, 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 Jupiter. I sort of imagine Jupiter. it being a little bit kind of like tropical, imagined... bit humid. Can I find Jupiter temperature profile? Let's have a look. I just, it's, it's red. A storm thing. It's, it's in halts as the planets. In it's like the bringing of war. Or, you know, it's like the that's Mars. Fiery... Oh yeah, what's Jupiter? Okay, so just thunderbolts and shit. King of the king of the king of the king of the other gods. Yeah. One yeah, atmospheric fact, pressure. One. Just fact. Good song though. I'm, I'm reading <laughs> into this. Uh, Oh, interesting. Okay. Right. Um, so the so Jupiter has a very hot outer atmosphere, same as Earth, because it's where there's not very many much gas, but what is there is being blasted by the sun, and so it ionizes. And so the few molecules that are there are moving around loads. So we say that that means it's hot, because that's temperature definition. So the temperature shoots down. Once you get out of the ionosphere, that part of the atmosphere, then it starts decreasing. Um, sorry, the temperature starts increasing again. Uh, once you get down to about a thousand kilometers from the really outer edges of Jupiter's atmosphere, which isn't insane compared to the Earth. The Earth's exosphere is about 10,000 kilometers tall. So, you know, like that's roughly the right order of magnitude. Once you get about 10,000 kilometers down, you get to one atmospheric pressure, one bar, uh, at which point it is approximately a minus 100 degrees Celsius. So about a hundred about 200-ish Kelvin, give or take. So it's pretty cold. Uh, Chaotic in chat has a question that I might be misinterpreting. They say, if you have more molecules, wouldn't that increase scattering and therefore cloudiness? This is, again, sort of talking about the visuals of it. Um, is there is there more? Are there more molecules of, of hydrogen helium in the atmosphere than there would be in our atmosphere? What does that depend on? Um, so the, how deep well, the, you are? So hang on. I tell you what, this is this is a cool learning opportunity. So you get the density of the atmosphere. You can relate the density of the atmosphere to the pressure and the temperature of the the atmosphere by the ideal gas equation. Oh so the, no! So the pressure is equal to the density times the gas constant, the the specific gas constant for whatever gas you're talking about, okay. multiplied by the temperature. So the density okay. is the pressure divided by the gas constant and the temperature. So. Depending on what the gas <laughs> constant space, she's like, done that I'm like, I'm like reverse equation. Trying to imagine like D equals P. <laughs> so over... P equals rho RT, rho equals P over RT. What's rho? Rho is the density. Why so if you want to density? know the density Why of the density atmosphere. D? Oh, it's just a tell you what, this is a real bugbear of mine. In atmospheric physics, we use yeah. P for pressure and rho for density when those two letters are almost the same. And That's it drives me nuts. That's not good. <laughs> So you've got, if you had a pressure of, you know, one bar, then, uh, oh, hang on, let's, let's see if I can do this on the fly. So what's the, um, hang on, we need the specific gas constants for hydrogen. So the specific but gas constants. There's a bit of ammonia in there. There is, but let's, yeah, let's do yeah, first yeah. approximation here. So the gas constant is approximately four, which is roughly half of what it is on Earth. So if we have 10 to the five divided by... Uh, four times, I said it was about 200 Kelvin, then the density of the atmosphere is, is that right? 125 kilograms per cubic meter. 
That sounds a bit too high to me. <laughs> I don't. I have no frame of reference for what that means. Well, it's one point three on Earth. One point three um, kilograms of atmosphere per cubic meter at surface pressure. Um, so, r from roughly reading this graph of the of Jupiter's temperature and pressure, you'd expect the that's about 10 times thicker than the atmosphere on, on the surface of Earth at the point in Jupiter's atmosphere where the pressure is equal to our atmosphere. Which actually, when you think about it, makes sense. Because you've got a gas that is way less dense per, per kilogram. So you'd need many more of those kilograms per cubic meter in order to get the same density. So, yes, it would feel soupy. If, yeah, <laughs> but we're also assuming that like answer. light travels the same through this hydrogen gas as it does through oxygen, which uh, I don't know what hydrogen absorption hydrogen's absorption spectrum is off the top of my head. Um, so that's basically even what if it was, wavelengths even it if, absorbs. In a gas, can a gas be dense enough to block out light while still being a gas? Yeah, if if the well, because it's not necessarily the density. Well, no, I suppose it is correlated with the density, but it's what wavelengths of light that gas absorbs at. So if you found a gas that absorbed somehow all visible, you know, wavelengths. True, but I'm just thinking that gas is like mostly empty space, and atoms are mostly empty space. So, in order for something to block out light, it would have to be like really super dense, and at that point, isn't it like? Yes, but, it, but it's all relative because, like, you know, um, from if you were to look. If you were to purely use like a certain band of infrared wavelengths to look through the Earth's atmosphere, at the surface it would be completely opaque because there's so much CO2 in the atmosphere. Even though it's a very small part of the atmosphere by composition, it's oh, actually... It does the good absorbing. Yeah, which is why you have to get quite high up in the atmosphere in order to be able to see out, which is the point at which so radiation actually, can leave. So when you think about life on these kind of planets, what you're actually getting is selection for specific wavelengths. Like, like in the deep sea, right? Yes. Yeah, because uh, um, yeah, what is it? Photosynthetic. Is it, is it red well, wavelengths no, get through water more easily? Red, wait. Red either does or doesn't. <laughs> I cannot know, damn it. Stuff, as you no, get red lower, doesn't. stuff gets redder. As you, yeah, so there's but, red yeah, stuff at the bottom. There's so red stuff red at the bottom doesn't get because through. red doesn't get through the deep layers and therefore they're all camouflaged in the dark and then you shine a light on them and they're actually like red and it's like, why are you red? It's like, oh, there is no red here. Red yeah. doesn't exist. <clears throat> Uh, I was just looking at the hydrogen absorption spectrum. There is a, there are basically pretty healthy absorption lines in kind of turquoise, like bluey green, and in uh, quite far red. So you'd have those colours removed from white. So if you remove some green and you remove some red, that basically leaves blue, right? Uh, think about color. If you think about Photoshop, if you're dragging yeah, down yeah, your yeah. R and your G, you're sure you've got B. blues and violets and maybe some a little cheeky bit of yellow in there. So looking up, I assume no, not that. I assume that would mean it would look blue. No, because blue reflects, right? So it would look everything but blue. Because <laughs> basically, if you if you if blue is getting through, you want to absorb the blue to generate whatever to build whatever molecules you're building. So you so you living things are going to absorb anything blue. So you are going to be the opposite color. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because I know the rocket fuel is quite blue, and that's that's primarily. That's I don't know. Fact. Rocket fuel, rocket fuel is blue. What is rocket fuel? Just people spilling it all over themselves. It's um. Oh god, what is rocket? Chat, you're going to have to help me out here. I read a book chat, on this once. What's rocket fuel? Yeah, God, chat. Where were you when we needed you? What's rocket fuel? What, what, uh, what's rocket fuel. What, what is and what color is rocket fuel? Isn't it nitro? <laughs> 
It's Fuck. What it, well, it's hydrogen. Well, actually, yeah, because it's hydrogen and oxygen that you mix together, off. right? That, that's 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 like what liquid rocket fuel is. It's liquid hydrogen and liquid yeah. oxygen. So yeah, it being blue would make sense then. I I reckon that's... hydrogen's blue. And I reckon you reckon <laughs> I reckon I trust you. I reckon I trust you, Simon. everything we said here. Uh, absolute scientific fact, especially the bits <laughs> well, prefaced by I reckon. So in, so in conclusion, I think Fogtown would be a very soupy <laughs> atmosphere. If you're going yeah. to recreate the part of the atmosphere of what these gas giants... What do you mean giants, by soupy? Visually soupy or... F- it would feel Ooh, soupy. Good, good, okay. And it could potentially it. be a little bit cloudy. Like, that's artistic license, however much cloud there is, because you could have a little bit of ammonia as a treat. Um, but oh, it would be, thanks. yeah, blue, and it would be very cold. Like, really cold. <sighs> that's really interesting to think about. <laughs> Megan's saying in chat, it's like walking through, like, a deep, frozen liquid smurf. No! No! <laughs> What did you do to the Smurf? Why are we no. here now? <laughs> so that's where we went for a drink. We thought it was... Yay. We found a really cool the place to go and have our, a drink. Us, oh dear. The science oh. of us having a drink. Slash a lot of atmospheric physics. It's so interesting to think yeah. of this, like... Because it, it does feel suddenly very oceanic when you describe it like that. Very cold, like soupy, light, kind of like diffracting off stuff and like sort of... Just, just sort of hazy and and stuff like shadows coming out of the mist and, ooh. Here we go. Yeah, liquid hydrogen. I, I'll. Mm, I can't show stream this very easily. I'll pop it in our group chat so you can see. But there's there's um someone pouring liquid hydrogen, um and oh. you can see that it's transparent, but it is tinged blue in a way that water isn't. Wait, where, I do not see that. <laughs> I just see liquid. Wait, I'm going to zoom in. Put it on the Discord. Oh yeah, oh, put it on the Discord. I, I, it's only slightly. Like this is this is a very you know small effect. Um, but I it's... want to I want to uh, cut to break, but like oh, the, uh, Hogan has put a really good question. Oh, go on. <laughs> which is if you flap your arms super hard, could you fly? It's so the atmosphere is more dense. I know that you can. I, I, I definitely know that someone worked it out, and you could do it on Titan. Like you could, you could fly on the surface of Titan if What's you gave Titan yourself. Like? Uh, it's methane. It's a similarly dense atmosphere. Oh, okay, super dense. I don't know. What's off the top of methane my head. and Jupiter hydrogen is it because all the methane's Why near the center. Oh, that's yes. That's another good point actually. Which is um, the thing that matters there is the gravity. So Jupiter obviously has a very strong gravitational. Oh, yeah, you can. Well, right. Whereas Titan is. Yeah has a thick enough atmosphere but it's also and it's small very small yeah so yeah there's an xkcd where it's like what would it take for you to you know fly on each one of these planets and titan is like leonardo da vinci style wings that you basically (laughs) strap to yourself and we have heard all about gas giants and now ali is here to but did we sharmini did we hear all about gas giants i know we remember hearing about them Yeah, so good. Very nice. <laughs> Professional streamer, everyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Take that, Matthew Mercer. <laughs> Gives nothing away. Uh, oh God. Yeah. So, so sh- sh- do you want to recap what happened in the story, or shall I? You recap. You do it so well. Oh, I don't only have my notes in front of me. Right. So I, I, I'm going to enjoy this recap because this was, um me trying Speaking to... Speaking of notes, can I do a sneaky plug? Is now a good oh, time do for the that? Sneaky... Yeah, yeah, do a sneaky plug. Can I do a yeah, sneaky plug? Everybody, sneaky this. plug! Um, yeah, so sneaky plug, if you are as... <laughs> if you are as interested in Sharmini's notes as... Oh, this plug's going badly. Um, 
you can see Shamley's notes. Shamley makes the most amazing epic notes. notes. They're full of like drawings and like it's literally, you know, word like wall to wall. You know, the margin on a piece of paper completely ignored, <laughs> right? Like it, it is. There is no space for anything but words and tiny drawings, and you can see all of those notes if you come and join us on Patreon, where you'll also find me <laughs> as soon as you enter. Um, oh, I'm Dahl, Simon. Yeah, yeah. Don't was, look at that. that. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just looked at me like, oh, like no. one who wasn't here earlier, there was a, there's a whole thing. It's fine. I signed out to be on a public project with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that was the expression that came across your face. <laughs> like you, you couldn't help it. Uh, anyway, but yeah, so you you can see them, and they're well worth seeing. Come join us on Patreon. Okay. Anyway, they are good. So, Shams, recap. Right. So, I enjoyed this because there was uh, involving my character stuff that I had discussed with Emily Bates, but had to sort of portray. And what I had, uh, what we had discussed is that my character has a sort of gap in her memory, um, and she remembers getting off a space station in Absalom. Wow, it's so amazing here. Um, and then she remembers arriving at the Eyes Wide Detective Agency. Um, and when I when I described and then and then she went somewhere else and when I described uh, this actually like I I, I as I said at the time like I think it was too subtle but what I what I said was like oh I, I described like getting off the ship in detail and then I just sort of jumped to being at the detective agency and then I like described the rest of it in detail and then and then I got a taxi and it was this much money um, because she doesn't actually remember getting from the getting off the space station bit to the arriving at Eyeswide bit. But what I figured, what we figured was you wouldn't experience that as a sort of, as a blackout or a blank spot in your memory. You'd just be like, uh, trying to remember and being like, yeah, and then I, I went to Wise Wide. And you're like, yeah, that must have happened. So yeah, I vaguely remember doing that because I must have done. Is that... Does, I'm gonna jump Kelly, in there. Is this is this how brains work? I'm just gonna jump in there for a second. You should. Um, I think so. Oh, yeah. Hi. Hello, everybody. I think what <laughs> so what you're talking about there is two different things, right? So one of them is false memory, where you remember something that just did not happen. But the other one is confabulation, where somebody asks you something <laughs> about which you think you should know the answer. Hmm. or you are challenged about something or you yourself think you should know something but you don't hmm. know it hmm. so your brain just makes up a story hmm. and then you just believe that story hmm. and people confabulate about all sorts of stuff i did it for a whole degree um <laughs> but they don't realize it's untrue whereas you simon knew you were lying <laughs> and you did it anyway <laughs> pretty sure i should know about this um yeah it's, uh, oh, it's called dr simon clark thing you're gonna have to you have to just gonna start. integrate the force yep that seems about right <laughs> <laughs> just do one of those little loopy s's yeah simon clark you heard it here first <laughs> uh so, so but isn't, if, if you're confabulating and you make up the story and you believe the story it's not it's not the, it's not not the same as like and i remember it happening so it's a false memory like yeah i must have i must have got the taxi right and yeah i, I think i remember that yeah i remember getting in the taxi and then you have this false memory of is it the same thing? Was. I don't know, is the answer. Basically, I did look up confabulation in during my research mm. because I was like, this is the obvious place where this goes. But there's actually not a huge amount of research that I could find on it. 
It is difficult to researchers down, when they like... were asked about it just made something up. <laughs> they could have. Though, like, it's difficult to kind of pin down the neurological roots of it. Like, it, it does happen in certain cases. More than lots of people sometimes it's brain damage that does it. Um, so there's definitely something in the brain. So there should be more on it. I don't know why I didn't find it because I did look for it, but I didn't find it. But if anybody else can find it. I would really be, I'd be really interested to know. And it would definitely feed into the stuff that I did find, which is a bit more kind of classic. Like there's lots of work on false memory. Is there lots um, of work on false memory? Because it's super relevant to like court cases where you're asking people for evidence mm. and therefore everyone's like, we should probably find out about this. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely 100%. It's yes. Yes. I'm... Brief, brief aside, because I was really curious about where the word confabulation came from. <laughs> Because because it's a very that's a great word that's a delicious word. Very good word. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely word. It's it? from the late Latin confabulationem, uh, which is basically a past participle of the verb to converse together. So I guess it's referring to the fact that you are creating an idea through conversing with someone else. Like it's a memory that you create mm -hmm. through conversation with someone. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Which is such a cool word. Great, great word that needs to yeah, that's a scrabble right there etymology corner uh, i always imagine it a bit like a sort of like a punch and judy set that opens up the curtains open up and then we get the etymology and then they close and we sort of the camera falls back <laughs> one day we'll have the budget to do that yeah one day well, we'll have it? to set it yeah really yeah. <laughs> and yeah. with the puppets and everything so <laughs> puppet simon uh etymology <sighs> uh so Here's something that should give you pause for thought, right? So, all right. So, <laughs> let, okay. First of all, you know, it's not just like someone you get put in the witness box and someone just grills you over and over and over again. Like I could potentially instill a false memory in you by gaslighting you, right? Being like, don't you remember going to get the food on Wednesday and you didn't get the yogurt, which I specifically asked you to get. And then you could be like, I don't remember going to get food. And you'd be like, yeah, don't you remember? You went in the car because I couldn't go in the car. And then you're like, and suddenly you've started to, so these, these, you know, that's a real sort of, yeah. it's not, it's, it's pretty, and, it, and it's super, super interesting because it sort of gets to the heart of what memory is and how it functions. And I think, this, so in the 60s. I mean, that is a lot what, of like my conversations I have with people are like that, but I don't think it's because they're gaslighting me. I think it's because I have a very poor memory. But when they say like, don't you remember? I don't know whether I really do or whether I'm just like, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know whether I'm making my own false memories just because I know that they're probably right. It, it, so there's there's lots of stuff you can do to sort of trigger false memorization in people. But and that sort of that feeds into that. Uh, anyway, and if you do a if you do a meta analysis on the literature, which has been around for a while, right? So but it, it's not huge, but since the kind of 50s and 60s people knew about this stuff. Um, if you do a meta-analysis on the literature, they, you find that about 30% of everyone who they tested to see if they could get false memories got them. So that's one of us, pretty much. Wow. Would be Less like, than I thought, yeah. actually. I think it might be me. <laughs> but this, remember, this is in a this is in a in a in a scientific setting. So in an experimental setting, you so can induce know... but they you'd be like, right, the experiment gonna... was, would they? Yeah. No, they wouldn't. But if you'd be like, right, I'm going to give you a false memory right now. Yeah. Let's do it. Do you As know what kind of things sort of it was? Was it one of those ones where it's like, do you remember when you came in and there was the 
biscuits on the left and it's one of those ones where you think the experiment starts when you were oh, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. it already started no, when you no i think normally what they do is that what they do is they flip it so that they say or at least the one that i read most about they flip mm. it so they say um this is an experiment about memory we're just mm. checking to see how good at remembering stuff you are do you remember this thing which you did and then it's it never happened and they're like i definitely want to remember that thing because my memory's great oh, oh man <laughs> this know, is like the, it's savage. the episode of rick and morty i've just realized when they have all the <laughs> mr belvedere and you know all these characters that uh start appearing and it's like they're all aliens oh, that yes. give the impression of memories it's a it's a like, parasite isn't it that, yeah uh like it feeds off their memory which again i think i i think i mentioned this last last time it was like it's a very star trek idea i got i got 11 minutes into that episode and then my wife came home <laughs> and you were like i'm watching nothing i was watching pornography i was watching pornography it's easy to explain <laughs> you were watching this is your pornography <laughs> cerebral yeah uh yeah so so yeah 30 percent of people which is pretty impressive um and these what's also kind of cool i say cool it's kind of funny no way um is that obviously these false memories, right? As soon as people remember them as being real, then they transmit them, like socially to other people, them. and they tell people these things happen. And there's this really famous, as in, as in they transmit them to other people, as in like they'll tell, like, oh no, they tell them, they tell them, Auntie Bob on the call, like, oh, I did this thing, or do you mean like, hey, don't you remember when we did this thing? Do you mean they transmit them, like, oh, hey, that's a great question. Was that person involved in the thing? Or is that's it a false a great... memory for them too? Are they just? Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't know. That's a really good that's question. Cool. That's cool. That's, that would be that, that would like ass... memory virus. That's also a very yeah, Star Trek that, idea. Yeah. <laughs> but that would essentially be that. like trying, that would be like giving someone else a false memory yeah. through the techniques which the person first gave you one. So I guess With, it un unconsciously because you don't know it's false. That, yeah. Right? Memory virus. Let's do it. I'm going to make a one shot. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna be a really hard one shot. Can you make a one shot for us? That's all like memory. Things? All about false memory. Really cool. Yeah. Oh god, I can't I feel like you begin really to imagine how hard that would be to write. Yeah, that's why oh. I gave up oh, on writing I can see it. And the I need to do it for me because I think you could do some cool mechanics with like you remember this, but like you never know whether your memories are real or not because the DM. That's has the that's power how it, you, you basically you time. you wake up you wake up and you know that something you know yeah. is is a lie. Oh no! You don't know what. And everybody has a different recollection. Of, but this is kind of standard. Everybody's got a slightly different recollection of what's yeah. happened. But some of the things overlap and you just don't know. And you have to discover what's not real before you die. Or what if you, what if you as a DM, you know, you ask the player, like, where did you get that item? Or whatever it is. Or, you know, what were you doing last night? And then, oh and then behind the screen, you flip a coin. <laughs> and if it's like heads, that's what happened. And if it was tails, it was a false memory. And then you construct all the things that really happened. And then you use that to drive the story on. It's, very, it's going to be very confusing. <laughs> I mean, mind-melting game to play. Yeah, my brain is melting already. Do it, do it, Ali, do it. <laughs> yeah, okay. wreck us, Daddy Ali. Yeah. Oh, that's quite, it's a nice experimental one shot, isn't it? That will end just in... <laughs> like just the stream just cuts out halfway through someone's <laughs> sentence yeah yeah that's it uh anyway so but there's a really famous account of a particular uh false memory that was transmitted like massively transmitted okay and it started with moses where did you get those two tablets with all those commandments written on it i um make... uh <laughs> uh someone gave them to the me stream. <laughs> No, religion is completely reasonable. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so when Nelson Mandela died in 2013, you know, everybody knows this story. There was a group of people who um, were convinced that he'd actually died in the 80s in prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, they formed, and so many people had this same memory that they formed a community, an online community of people around this. And when you, um, said, when you say so many people had the same memory, did they have it or did someone else tell them they had it? And then they were like, oh, yes, I do have it. I do not know. That would work I don't well. know whether they kind of, for the all kind of, um, yeah, whether they were, have, they, whether it was appearing uh, day yeah, how, how many people independently people. had the thought or how many people heard someone else say, I remember this, did this already happened? And, and then like looked back and thought like, oh yeah, I know I do remember it happening, but like they had, wouldn't have thought of it otherwise. But it wouldn't, it could be something, it could be a lot more sort of like fragmented. Like someone could remember that they died in the eighties, someone remember in prison and then they'd meet and you'd be like, yeah, I guess it must've been in prison. And suddenly, you know, you've got kind of a new one being formed. Hmm. Anyway, so <clears throat> false memory, it can happen which made me think basically i was thinking okay false memories yes yes all very interesting um but what's most interesting about them i think well to me anyway was the kind of light that they shed on actual memory because false if you go back to the studies false memories and real memories are indistinguishable by the people who have them shit okay by experience are they indistinguishable if you put them in a scanner that's the kind of thing you don't think like that's do. been done but well, we can look um or it might have been done and they are um indistinguishable um so your so your question there is you put them in an mri scanner does a different part of their brain fire if they're I don't, yeah. a memory they think is real but it's false versus an actual memory. Yeah, 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 yeah 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 so i i have not seen any literature which yeah. says which tests that, although it must have been tested because it's a very obvious experiment to do we've um, got to get funding i don't know I, th- I think we've got to get funding and we've got to do this the instant that could be our that could be our camera couldn't it of the experiment just some someone doing an mri trying to remember some stuff if you're in chat you get to be a co-author all right <laughs> patrons go higher up like there's mad physics papers a million co-authors yeah yes. <laughs> i think the record's the one that was the discovery of the higgs boson the confirmation of the higgs boson because two of the authors on it were dead like there were there were th- something like two thousand authors, and I think two of them had passed away between like the start of the experiment oh, no. and them submitting 2, it. Two thousand, something like that. I'll look at the number. That's pretty good. So, right, I just thought I'd do a very quick recap on how memory works, like yeah. the common or garden standard memory. Mm. Yeah, I found it by the way. Just very quickly to. To avoid derailing a beautiful explanation, um, the team that discovered the Higgs boson had 5,154 authors. Whoa. The paper is 33 pages long, 24 of which is the list of authors and their institutions. Oh, no. Ah. Um, oh, that's awesome. Oh, and hang on. What was it? Uh, had the paper that announced the Atlas team. So this, I think, was the overall... Higgs boson, yeah, the more precise estimate of the Higgs boson. The initial estimate had 2,932 authors, of whom 21 were deceased. Oh no. That's nearly 1% of all the authors on a paper <laughs> is dead, <laughs> which doesn't sound like a lot. But that's still 21 dead authors. 21 people. Dear. I'm pretty sure I was dead inside when I submitted my paper, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ouch. Anyway, right. Sorry. How does memory yeah. work? So, you've got three stages. Encoding, storage, and retrieval. And for encoding, basically you're taking sensory input um, modulated by whatever's already happening in your brain, right? So that means like whether you know your mood or whether you're particularly goal target focused on something which is happening um and whether that's relevant to the memory that you're kind of encoding at the time and i don't know if anybody i don't know who who out there's brain like brain nerds my brain peeps um i just love i just love the way the brain's put together it's put together in a really funky way it's got loads of crazy bits and i'm into it right i'm down with it and <laughs> one of the where my brain peeps at <laughs> where my brain peeps at can i hear it in the chat that's one to put on a t-shirt where my brain peeps at and it's like a brain that's made out of circuitry or something and then where my brain peeps at ali jennings 2023 <laughs> underneath and then no one replies yeah and then what and then an empty chat box next to it yeah <laughs> and two ticks for scene yeah <laughs> Two ticks, the Ali Jennings story. <laughs> Two blue ticks. That's what it would be, wouldn't it? <laughs> Some people in chat like the brains. You're all right. Okay, all right. It's all it's zombies, a lot of you. Um, but that's fine. It's fine. So, right? too hard. If you think about... Just think for a second. So, like, a huge, huge part of your brain is devoted towards sensory input. Like, masses of it is devoted towards vision because that's fairly complicated. And then a good chunk of auditory, and then you've got a lot, which is somatosensory, which is your skins. And then uh, you've got a kind of a funny sort of rump bit, which is your olfactory, which has got a bit of kind of strange, like piriform cortex, I think it is. Anyway, and it's also got like an olfactory bulb and some other shit. Uh, and then you've got your the, the taste, which I think is olfactory as well. And then um, you've got your the sixth sense, which is uh, proprioception. Okay. New proprioception, which is all the internal movements of your... It's Knowing like where your hands kind of... are at all times. This is exactly. what also we were talking about in the show the other day, about like how your stomach flips if you're in zero gravity. You're going over a hill because you feel your organs moving should around. have found That's that out. That would have been a good one. We were, we were wondering about that. Yeah. Anyway, um, so all that stuff is coming in, and it basically... Uh, the jet the information always flows both ways right so it flows even back down into your spine probably not probably not back to your actual like sensory neurons in your skin or wherever but information is flowing from the kind of the higher processing parts of the brain back towards the the sensory processing parts but in general information uh increases in complexity and in abstraction the further towards the prefrontal cortex you go which is the forehead bit, which doesn't, ha which isn't linked to any particular sensory uh, input. It's linked to all of them, uh, and it also gets lots of inputs from everywhere else, like about sort of mood and decision making and all that kind of shit. Anyway, the prefrontal cortex, along with various other, along with direct inputs from the the different sensory cortices, sends its information to the hippocampus, which you might have heard of. My brain peeps. Yep. Come on. Horse University. Oh, they, they've heard of it. Yes. I've been talking about this for three years on stream. Horse brain, yes. Horse brain. Yeah. Horse brain. 
I've got donkey I brains. About this. <laughs> I sometimes, I sometimes think about it. I, I mention this. I would say two or three times every stream. Yeah, like, checks out. Where the campus peeps yeah. at? Silence. Yeah, there are no it's always campus peeps. Two ticks. The early Jenny story. <laughs> <laughs> Look, chaotic brain person loves your brains. We we also, Ali. I don't know if you've read this in I chat, assume, but we had so. a, a chaotic brain person looked up an MRI study on false memories. Yeah. yeah. And there was a difference. Parahippocampal gyrus. In the parahippocampal gyrus, is that in the hippocampus or is it just parahippocampal? It's, so it's parahippocampal. It's not. It's so oh. the hippocampus isn't cortex. It's. Um, I'm glad you asked me this, Simon. Um, the yeah, the parahippocampal gyrus. Basically, that your your brain. You know the, the the wavy bits on your brain, like the way where it looks like a walnut instead of smooth. Yeah. It, yeah. It's crinkly. I like those um, bits. Yeah, Good that's bits. gyri and sulci. Those are called. So the gyri are the bits at the top, of the peaks, and the sulci are the valleys. Oh. Um, so the the parahippocampal gyrus is just the the wavy bit that goes out next to the hippocampus. Cool, very okay. cool. That's that's how we do. Um, that's very interesting that chaotic brain person you would find that because uh, a parahippocampal gyrus is next to the hippocampus, and it will be part of the rooting. So basically, information gets rooted through those areas like the parahippocampal gyrus and the entorhinal cortex which is the one which is next after the parahippocampal gyrus to the hippocampus and the hippocampus basically uh is a very specific piece of circuitry so uh it's it's built in a way that the rest of your lot well the kind of the neocortex which are the crinkly bits aren't built the neocortex which are the crinkly bits have a very specific structure which is quite uh it, it leaves room for lots of connections and lots of sort of processing but it, it doesn't do like one thing really really well it, it right. can it's very malleable and changeable i feel like i feel like i've really lost you've, you've told me a lot about brain anatomy and i've really lost the sort of core point and what i actually need need to know matter. all this <laughs> like... it's irrelevant now um, what 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 was <laughs> no false what memories only hippos do i need to only hippos in the brain chat. Anatomy, do i actually need to know for this yeah. Okay. Well, all you need to know is that um, the hippocampus uh, basically binds all your sensory information together okay. and then shoots it back out into your cortex for yeah. storage. So the hippocampus does encoding uh, and then storage is where all those, uh, where all that joined up information is sent out to be stored. And it's stored okay. in things called engrams. <gasps> Memory engrams. I thought they were... Yeah. I thought they were just on Star Trek. I was thought they pronounced engrams, but that might just be the Americans. Americans. Get off my engram, you pervert. Because that Star Trek episode, it, the, the, Star the Trek. virus is a memory engram that oh, jumps from per person to person. I just thought they were a sci-fi thing. How on earth in real life do you define an engram? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me. A memory engram is a collection of neurons connected in a specific way. Okay. Right, little, it's it's a, it's, like, of... it's like a circuit that's formed biologically. A little network, yeah, little exactly. bundle. Okay. Uh, are they, are, they uh, can, are those neurons only part of one engram or? Well, so no. So they they can no individual neurons can be part of multiple engrams. And then you just draw a circle and be like, this one is this engram, and then you draw another circle. It, yeah, so you can. Yeah, the the yeah. Parts of the circuit can can be parts of different engrams, and you can 
activate those engrams experimentally and trigger a memory if you do it with lasers and only lasers and how specific a memory is it when you say an engram is kind of like a memory like are we talking about like what an apple looks like or we're talking about that time you ate your apple at your grandma's house you're talking about declarative versus episodic memory so declarative memory is is facts about the world episodic memory is facts about your own life which you did and which Um, which type is it both i don't know that's a really good question um i think it's both um but essentially the one thing it's not is procedural memory which is movement but that's not answering your question so i don't know okay Um, so there are little memories stored in in the little engram networks Yes, you have all so you this get these... input for different sensory things. Your mood affects it as well. Like if you're really yeah, angry and... when you learn it, that will influence. Do you know why that is? I love this no. shit, and we never get to talk about it. Is it I'm because of the brain so anatomy much. you were talking about earlier? <laughs> it's not. Although we should talk about that more. Oh no. Um, <laughs> no. Why? If, why is an angry memory different from a happy memory? If you're a brain peep, which you all are, and I know it, we are now. Then you ju- you basically yes, basically you would say that mood is a function of the different chemical makeup of your brain at any given point sure okay. that's a move. and and those chemicals uh, interact with synapses which are the joining points between neurons in different ways so your engrams are built by strengthening the synapses which are the connection points between a group of neurons and so and- by activating one you activate all of them because they're all strongly connected by synapses and depending on what mood you're in changes the chemicals that change how those synaptic connections are formed. And presumably, the more Wait. frequently the connections are made, the stronger that memory becomes. The more frequency... The, the, the frequency? No, so they, they're made once, but the more frequently that they are used, as in that the more frequently you use that synapse to, to reactivate the memory, the, the more they are strengthened, yes. Yeah. Are you saying that mood is like, a, is like brain chemistry, is like a soup of molecules that are outside the cells... The synapse being obviously the gap between the cells. That not, is what I'm saying. Inside that, that's so, wow. so you've got all these elect- electric signals going down these cells, which are neurons, and like most of our brain function is all these electric signals. And then you have overall this this liquid that could contain the, different. So if you were a gaseous life form, how would that? That, how that, would... that was that okay. wasn't self-contained. You just you'd you know float through the atmosphere and be like the mood in here is off like literally the vibes in this part of the planet are not good i am straight up not having a good time mm. like... <laughs> that guy's like i kind of like that guy whoever that guy was like you know I, I need more people like that who just come into a space and are like you know what the vibes in here are not great not having a great time sorry about it guys i'm out yeah <laughs> and then just drift off we can all respect learn to you my friend guy. yeah we should all we can all learn from this yeah we all need to be uh yeah well but it's but uh, so it's not like a soup right like it's which is homogeneous it's more like yeah you know spatters of different Individual kind of pockets of chemicals bits, here and yeah. there and yeah anyway um <laughs> but what's interesting about that is it's not just so that that there are chemicals and en- so endogenous chemicals chemicals your brain produces naturally which set your mood and change depending on the situation you find yourself in. But also you can bang a load of drugs, right, of various kinds, and change the internal chemistry of your brain, right? That's basically how drugs function. They 
and that's why lots of drugs have like profound effects on mood because they just and they change the the concentration of chemicals in this surrounding your neurons so why is it i can't have grapefruit juice on like antidepressants is that because it introduces a chemical that fucks with the pathways well i okay i'm just gonna completely guess and i i don't oh, feel great about this because again. i don't want to i don't want to this is not medical advice let's this is 100 not medical advice and i don't know the answer so i'm gonna put a guess out there and if anybody wants to check if it's in any way correct that'd be great my guess would be that <laughs> let's go for it that there's something in grapefruit juice which fucks with the um breakdown of the chemicals because essentially if you're dosing at a particular strength right and at a particular frequency if you change the breakdown of the molecule in your system that's going to change the actual dose yeah. within your system so that's that's probably more likely rather than it having an actual effect. So it could be that you're inhibiting the breakdown and then suddenly you've actually have a larger dose that's built up and it's like a dam bursts and suddenly you have a larger dose being applied over a shorter period of time. Yeah, you would inhibit the breakdown and thus increase the concentration, the active concentration. And right. so you would Because grapefruit juice is one of the ones that you really commonly hear as like a side effect of. That's really... Yeah, so yeah, so just is. from a very brief It's Google, just a suggestion though. We don't know if that's That's really true. close, I think. So to the answer. The, uh, FDA website is the top result, and it says um, that uh, grapefruit juice can block the action of this enzyme that breaks down the drugs. Um, so Brain boys, the, let's go! Brain boys, let's in. go! Let's go! Is this happening? Am I doing it right? <laughs> We've had two actual bits of science. I did a calculation live, and Ali just like was like, yeah, it's probably this brain chemistry thing. It's probably a bit like this. Dead on. <laughs> it's in your guts, though. It's not in your brain. It's in your guts. Yeah, but I did that. Chemistry is important too. No, but I. That's. I don't want to. I don't want to justify myself. I'm just gonna live. I'm gonna walk away. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Anyway. Um. By the way, Shamani, are you drinking like a corner shop Ribena or something? It's like you're drinking a Ribena out of a brown bag. I went. For those of you who cannot see this, it's um my water bottle wrapped in a piece of brownish cloth tied with, uh leather cord and it's because i went larping and i needed uh uh in character way to drink so this is my disguised water bottle it is sadly just water however how was larping i don't want to talk about it <laughs> oh, oh okay <laughs> i had a time <laughs> i think if all if the four of us went larping we would fucking kill it like if we all went to the same because i've been invited to empire larp near like it's southwest i think it's not too far that from sounds deeply not good but like <laughs> i know a lot of people that do it and they have a whale of a time like, i mean they sure did but <laughs> i'm not sure it's my thing but it's one of these things i wouldn't i wouldn't like be averse to trying once because like you know you no why not you gotta try it. turn up rp is bards the entire time don't elaborate leave like you know like we could we could we could have such a fun weekend I'm gonna come as a paladin, full plate mail, shield, whatever the LARP is. Yeah. <laughs> Hail citizen! <laughs> on a space on a spaceship, you know. Like oh it's Warhammer. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. Uh, oh fuck. Actually Warhammer yes. LARPing sounds awful. Like Warhammer forty thousand LARPing is the last thing I wanna do. Mm. Sorry, sorry, I just read something from my notes. Simon, remember you were saying that um, when you play, if you uh, if you reactivate a, a memory engram, you strengthen the synapses because yeah. you're, you're... So actually, 
they think sleep is very important for memory storage because you get these things called sleep spindles in the hippocampus, which are very, very, very condensed uh, bursts of activity. And when you look at them and you look at the cells which are bursting at, the, at that time, what you see is that they're playing in reverse, I think, the, the position of the rat this is in space over a period of time that happened when they were awake. So they're mentally replaying what they did during the day, but they're doing it. The cells are bursting at very high frequency to, to basically lock in those connections to solidify the memory. Right. Okay. Did that make sense? What I just said? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like you're mentally retracing your steps and then it's like, that's the pathway. Cool. We know what this pathway is. We did it once. We're going to do it backwards. That's it. And you go, 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 go. And I suppose this is um, also why spaced repetition is a revision technique that works really well. Like you do the same thing yes. the, the following day, the following week, the following month, and it's going through the same yeah. process. So it's interesting. So it's, if you, because the environment that you're in and the mood that you're in affects how you remember and how you can recall as well. So actually there's a good experiment they did on students, obviously, where basically they, they took a cohort of students and asked them to remember something and took another cohort of students and got them hammered on booze and then sat them both sets down uh and said oh can you sober and ask them to remember the thing and the people who remembered it who were asked to remember while they were sober remembered it and the people who were asked to remember it while they were drunk could not remember then they got both sets of co students drunk and asked them to remember it again and the 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 ones who remembered it sober couldn't remember drunk and the ones who remembered it drunk could remember drunk huh so it's less that the booze gets rid of your memory. It just means that you are very situational about how you can recall things, i.e. you can only recall stuff when drunk. There is a really fun idea for a story or like a camp, or like a one shot there where like you are, you do something incredible. Like you do an experiment, for example, that changes the world of science, but you're hammered at the time, but you can't remember <laughs> how you did it until you got appropriately hammered. And then you have to try and write it up or, or something like that. Like, I think there's a thread there for exactly. a one shot. Is there. <laughs> so science but that was a thing wasn't it anyway mm. um so back to false memory right because this has all been a long preamble and it has um so let me just read my notes i kind of forgotten at this point that we hadn't actually got to false memory oh yeah i thought we had <laughs> or yeah, have we learned no. so much and i'm like no we haven't <laughs> what about the false memories uh shit face yes, science yes, yes. it's like drunk kitchen but drunk science i like that yeah pretty good so mm, yeah. mm, mm, mm. okay right so this is this is the take home if you are looking to um instill a false memory in someone so let's think back saliana if if any of that isn't real, mm. here's what they would have had to do to instill that false memory in you. So the script that the experiment is used to kind of to give you this false memory is first you have to you provide them with incontrovertible false evidence of this memory. So they'd be like when they when they were interviewing. They've got these, to believe you first, right? They've got to actually believe you. You have to say from a position of authority, yeah. like this yeah. is this is what happened, right? Yeah. So that's the first thing. So like in in the experiment, they were like, 
they give the, they tell I ask the person, oh, do you remember doing this thing? The person's like, no. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. Because in the questionnaire that your parents filled out, they distinctly describe you doing that when you were, you know, 12. You sure you don't remember that? Then they then social pressure, which is like the it's like the special source of all psychology experiments. If you give so give social pressure, you can make people do pretty much anything. So then they <laughs> like they say things like, most people, most people are able to retrieve lost memories if they try hard enough. Which is like, that's like that's so nasty. That's like cute. imagine, like, yeah, this most is, most people can do this. This is Ali's supervillain origin story. We're studying <laughs> neuroscience. Now he's gotten all the ways to. So, but, I, but at no point in Thally's story has someone said to us, you know, well, as far as we know, no one said to Thally like, "Oh, you you remember the past year? Like we did this and we went to the park and we." You should try it. Maybe it'll work. Yeah, maybe. maybe. We went to the park. We had a great time. Oh, that's nice. Whereas as it is, you have a memory gap, basically. Yeah, but, yeah, but you've got but a memory gap. I filled in. I filled in the memory gap with like we didn't really get into it, but like I think it's quite plausible that if someone said, "Well, how did you get to Eyes Wide?" that, you know, I could think, well, I must have got a taxi, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I got a, a taxi and yeah, maybe it's not the same as when someone else implants it in you. Well, I think that's confabulation. That's confabulation, and, yeah. But in a way, you might, you could expect that confabulation is running on the same system. It's just, yeah, it's you yeah. that's providing the input. Yeah, you're convincing yourself and being like, was the taxi... Blue, yeah, yeah. What if yeah. that other taxi later was blue? So, yep, I, I remember. I've got a vision of it now. What if Thally spent an entire year stage three drunk, and in order <laughs> to access the memories, we have to reach stage I never three got, drunk? We never got. I never got to stage three. If we had, we might find out what. I think mm. as a science experiment, our characters need yeah. to all get stage Let's three get drunk. Yeah, I was trying. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you were. In the name of science, you were trying to yeah. find out what would happen. But anyway, there's, there's all sorts of other kind of like things that they do, like you build a rapport with the participants, you use pauses, lots of pauses to allow oh, yeah, the participants yeah, yeah. to be like to, to to respond and build up their own memory. And then um, and then further, this is this is a direct quote of the paper further, when participants reported that they could not recall the false memory, the interviewer seemed disappointed but sympathetic while saying the scripted line, that's okay. Many people can't recall certain events at first because they haven't thought about them for such a long time. And then they scribble a note on their clipboard. That's in the that's in the instructions. <laughs> interesting. Oh, interesting. Do, do you think it yeah. says like write for three seconds? Like you know, it's, it, it specifies like, how long it is. It's I do, so tightly controlled. I do remember when I was in therapy, my therapist. I, I I said something, and I can't remember what it was. I genuinely can't remember what it was. Uh, and he went, huh. And then did like a huge spiral motion, like a circle on the page, wrote something and then tapped his pen no. and then looked at me. And I was oh like, oh my God. Oh, I want to know what that says. That I feel like I'm winning therapy. <laughs> like, yeah. If we put you back in therapy right now, you might remember because you've got to be in the same brain state. When he never showed what it, it was, it might have been nothing. He might have literally just drawn a circle, scribble, tap because it was like, he responds to this. I love it if you just draw like a big circle and then a little one inside it and then a little one and then a little label saying snail question mark and then <laughs> circle small circle booby like just, <laughs> just graffiti and then tapped it really hard like yeah <laughs> boob it he was actually drawing a <laughs> donut it. it was just like snack after this <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> snack and yeah anyway last thing is. There was a study in 2012 where they studied the sequence of events uh, that typically occur prior to 
and during the internalization of a false accusation in the courtroom. False accusation is in you remember and and when you're accusing someone. As in you, a lawyer, are trying to get your witness to get a, like an, oppo- an opponent witness yeah. to remember something that didn't happen and to try and, you know, build a case on false memory, basically. Oh, shit. Which, which presumably they're not intending to do, but there are certain techniques that seem to work. So... I th- well, I think it's more like, you know, you've been told this person is an eyewitness to the murder and they turn yeah. up and be like, oh, I didn't see it. And you're like, are yeah. you sure you didn't see it? In fact, I'm going to do it to you right now, right? Yeah, okay, okay, so yeah, first, yeah, yeah. okay, oh, okay. You, t- you say you didn't see the murder, but yeah. we know from yeah. security camera evidence that you were there at the time of oh, the shit. when the incident took place and you were in the alley. Oh. Now, you might think it may be possible that you have repressed... <gasps> this event because it was a fairly horrific crime or otherwise perhaps you were drunk you've forgotten about it but you were there oh well if, if simon and... and i were there <laughs> this is amazing the next the next line in my in my thing is at this point the individual may make an admission of possible guilt using <laughs> inferential language oh no is that what i did i was just were like what you we got it ladies and gentlemen no i just said well if we were there I didn't say we were there. I just implied we were there because you told me we were there. God damn it. At this point, the admission of possible guilt may be aggressively pursued. So you were there. You admit to being there. And the suspect may may begin to incorrectly create specific details of his or her involvement of the crime memory. You say you were there. You've admitted to us that to us now in court. Can you tell us what you were wearing at the time of the event? Yeah, so I was wearing a black dress. That would make sense. You just come out of the club. Do you remember being there? And on we go. And then we're building up a whole... This feels like, like a real nice psychic power that you're using. Like this just... It's like freaking Darren Brown shit. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. And is the point of, of what were you wearing about the fact that you're like combining real memories with... Yeah, you can... You can I, I don't know exactly how you see that, but like it's the sort of... Basically, it doesn't matter. You're not looking for information from them because it's all fa- yeah. fake anyway. You're just looking for them to th- to remember stuff, which means they start making stuff up and then they just build their own little reality around it. It's dark, dark shit. Um, do you want to end on something that's really dark? Oh, good. We can go deeper. Oh, Excellent. it's an alley stream. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. Well, okay. Let me let me preface this by saying at first I thought this was really funny, but now I just think it's really horrible. The alley Jenny's so, guarantee. Very scared. <laughs> Just, just go whichever way you like. Uh, so they 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 wanted to test they to them. Um, <laughs> a group of people wanted to test how like absurd you could make a false memory, basically. Like, oh, okay. can you make someone believe something completely ridiculous? Um, so they asked. Uh, they got ten year olds. So they they did it with children, right? Because they're inherently slightly more malleable. And they got them first. They got them to remember that they they went on a hot air balloon ride, okay, which they didn't go on. Sad for them. Then they got them to remember that they had tea with Prince Charles. They didn't. And then they did the same to six year olds to check which would be worse. About being malle- malleable, though, that's about not knowing how unlikely those events actually are, right? You mean, I I see what you're saying. They don't I know that them saying. having tea with Prince Charles couldn't possibly have happened. Like, it, seems it wasn't like to us going to the moon. I mean, context. 
10-year-olds aren't six-year-olds. They That's are, true. like, capable of knowing that. <laughs> I know, but, like... <sighs> but that does correlate, right? Because yeah, you, you get kids who come in and just make shit up about what they did on the holidays, right? And I, and that don't. makes me wonder, like, have they actually convinced themselves that they've done this? Rather than... This is the Boris Johnson effect, isn't it? I'm, yeah, I'm not just going to make this up for clout. I really did go and have tea with, with Prince Charles. Like, or King Charles. RSVP, but, Elizabeth. I... RSVP? Oh, yeah. You've misunderstood He's the situation here. <laughs> I like the idea of saying RSVP now. That's a, that's a, that's a bit that's blurred across my brain from the Star Trek podcast. I've just realised. Oh well. I do want to. I do want to ask Cass's question. Um, maybe it's not dark. Which is, is it true that uh, or what? Uh, she says like, have you read that report that people um, forget how uncomfortable and painful giving birth is? Oh um, yeah in order to have a hormonal incentive to actually get pregnant again well that's but that so like, that that's one? interesting because that's so partly about i i think i don't know no i've not but also i'm going to say something anyway um what's interesting about that is that is because you you do get a bias like a positive bias in memories often that's like oh, the really? um you know the the rosy rosy tinted specs looking back oh at, named after rosy yeah, it's like it's the, it's like um, you, you know, the reason people voted Brexit, uh, nostalgia. Mm, like mm, you get the nostalgia okay, yeah. effect, and that is real. Um, but yeah. why? But it just doesn't happen for everyone, right? And mm. there's interesting work around like depression and how that affects your your brain's ability to do that, or at least whether it chooses to do it. Um, anyway, but I I don't know about the motherhood thing. But the other thing is like I'm just gonna put it out there. But at the point of, oh, so like the word for giving birth in what well, i learned about giving i learned i learned about giving birth um in one of my courses where lots of the work had been done on sheep so they were like yes the hormones they rise they fall like this so sheep and at the moment of parturition and parturition is the word for when you're like fucking everything opens up and out comes the baby and it's grim as a word anyway but you're on such a kind of like hormonal you're in such an interesting hormonal place that the oh. way your brain is probably in a state which only remembers the pain and that right. everything like there when it's in the same state again. Because and when you're back memories to memories work. Mm. Yeah. You probably find like it very difficult to a deliberate thing to try and like make people evolutionarily forget. It could just be a side effect of how memory works and the fact that you need to be in. A but I mean, that's state. kind of useful anyway, isn't it? Like you probably can't go around your whole life bad, being yeah. terrified of. Yeah. It was probably the same with, you know, being stabbed or something. Ah. Not the same thing. Very cool. Very dark, this one. It wasn't. It was. Oh. Remember all the stuff about the brain chemistry? Don't and the, gaslight the us when we were talking about fake I... memories. <laughs> I wanted to keep us in that that lovely, sweet, like, brain structure spot. You know you should have done a fake memory experiment on us. Oh, that's right? the experiment I... we could have done didn't all along. Didn't you? you didn't. No. <laughs> yeah, you could have been like, remember when I talked about, you know, the many tentacled parts of the brain? And we were like, yes. Yeah, I would have said yes to that because I wasn't listening to all of that, and I'm sure it would have been so good. Actually, I'd have needed to have like because I remember tentacles being mentioned, and it went. I'd have needed an internal collaborator, which would have been one of you two, and then we could have made the other one like that. It would have worked. Next science chat. We can do debates. No, no, no. Next science chat. We got to do something like that when there's something psychological. Yeah, that's really good. If we can run an experiment on stream. Oh, that's such good. I fucked it. I fucked everyone. Consent. I don't know. Probably not from each other. Well, we'd have to sign away consent at the beginning, right? 
not know what was going Everybody cool with being it's part so of psychological cool. experiments on the RP Geeks Twitch yep, channel? Everything. Right, we're both in. That's the majority. Oh yeah. my gosh. We have quorum. <laughs> okay, right. Yes, we will um, end tonight there. Uh, thank you so much, uh, everyone who has joined us live, especially for all your um, questions and very uh, intelligent discussion in uh, chat. We love having a, a bunch of nerds to hang out with. Um, thank you all, uh, YouTube viewers and podcast listeners. Put your own uh, uh, nerdy comments in, in the comment boxes, however they work. Or on the Discord. Oh, on the Discord. Um how if someone's like listening to the podcast right now how do they find our discord I just don't know how discord works do we include a link i don't think we do actually include a link um I'll that's a really good it. question i'm not sure how people find my discord i'll tweet it right now tweet it right now and June just point them to the rp geeks discussion page there's like, lots of other things that go on on my discord if you like warhammer hey. where there's normally a lot of and there's a lot of very good memes, oh, memes. you are the meme king Oh, I'll get some good memes. Um, Should we do a Warhammer stream with the RP Geeks? Is that too far? The new Space just... Marine game has a co-op campaign. I don't know if it'll run on your PC, but we could do the two of us doing that. Yes, we've done it! Whoa, what am I do it. Do it. We'll make it um, work. Uh, meanwhile... This is a really good idea. Meanwhile, um, we are That's excited to be back gosh. with episode three of The Absalom Files uh, oh. next Monday. Should um, I bring in some music? Fuck. Just... <laughs> it's a bit late. You kind of. It's a bit late. Not quite. Two hours into Discussion about it is it? It's kind of a bit like, well, past the point. Like, do you want me to say it again or just just vamp? Uh, well, I'm still I'm still vamping while you find the music. <laughs> wow, this Higher. is gonna Higher. be so impactful when it finally comes on. Okay. Okay. I next I've week, got no control of a volume. We're back with the next episode of the Absalom Files. Chill, but okay. Oh, it's very chill. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's calming and relaxing vibes, which is hopefully what our next session is going to be based on the cliffhanger ending to episode two. Um, follow us on all the social medias at RPGeeksDND. Um, give us a shout, give us a follow, give us a like in various places. Um, we have got a Patreon now as well. We're very excited about it. Thank you again to our patrons. We like you all. You're great. And we will see you next time. Head Bob out. Two outro. Oh, yeah. See you next week, everyone. Oh, yeah.